Welcome to the Ask Brian Podcast Radio Show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success, and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're listening to Ask Brian Radio Show, A-S-K-B-R-I-E-N.com and S. Brian Network was part of the KHCS 1220 AM and 98.1 FM. Like no other station in the world. All right. So, everyone who has never, ever, ever listened to the S. Brian Radio Show, well, I think we for treat. Every week we have a show. You know, we try to help entrepreneurs, help business owners learn something about business. We either have a CEO of a company, a startup, a new concept, or someone just trying to teach people something about business. That's our goal each week. That's what we try to do. And many, many people have always said to us, why do you spell S by A-S-K-B-R-I-E-N? People don't understand what the E stands for. But we have an engineer that luckily his occupation is intuitively, and he's going to tell us. So, Mr. Engineer, why in the world is S. Brian spelled with an E? Brian should be spelled B-R-I-A-N, B-R-Y-N. Why? He should go with me. You know why? There's a couple of words that have to do with Ask Brian that are very important, kind of like our little theme of the show. One of them being that Ask Brian has a lot of experience. Another one is effort because everybody at the Ask Brian show gives more than 110% of their effort in doing what they do. The other one is experts because everybody on Ask Brian happens to be an expert in their own field and whatnot. Other ones we have are excellence because we offer nothing but excellence towards in everything and everybody we deal with. And for one of the other reasons. Well, we have excitement and enthusiasm. <laughs> hey, see? Tracy got us covered. Well, thank you, Tracy. I need to be assisted with Well, so without any further ado, we have a guest. His name is Tom Neely. Tom, you there? Yes, sir. It's an honor to be back. Well, we appreciate you back. You're, you're a very good guest, and uh, as long as they keep on asking to have you back, we'll keep having you back. Yeah, my phone blew up on the after the last show. Everyone listened, and they wanted more clarification, and they thought you guys were great. I see that the uh, podcast of the show got a lot of traction. It's our most downloaded episode. Woohoo! Yeah, I was surprised to see that, because I didn't think you guys were going to call me back. I thought I might have, you know, not done a good job. <laughs> well, we really didn't want to call you back, but I had that choice. They, they, they required me to. Anyway, Tom, when we were on the show last time, there were two rules that I want to go over a little bit because uh, we had a little bit of interesting clarification on. So the first one is, and we're not, we are going in order, so it's going to be slightly different. This is rule number three. Doing the grunt, please explain, because not everybody understood that. And we want to truly understand what grunt work is, other than, you know, trying to train the engineer how to use the word E. What, what, what kind of grunt work is it? You, know? you are real hard on your engineer, you know that? You guys really <laughs> pick on him. <laughs> so hard on him. I am not. I'm nice. <laughs> thank well, thank you, Tom. I appreciate you, Tom. Thank you for bringing that. <laughs> well, rule, rule number three, a good leader, good owner, good manager can't gain the respect of the staff or the teammate unless he's willing to do the dirty job he requests his employees to do. So what that means is some people took it the wrong way if they needed an IT guy or an attorney or, you know, a 
graphic designer that you should be able to do every single job. That's not what that means. What that means is the job nobody wants to do that's mundane, difficult, tedious, stressful. You got to be willing to do that. You can't just throw your staff at that and expect them to always be as motivated as you would be to do it. The only way to show them how to do it is to do it yourself. Then everyone kind of picks up the ball together and runs it in. That is really what that means. So want to make sure we're all clear on that. The point you understand that next week I will be the engineer because I have to show you how to do the grunt work. <laughs> well, then I'm, I'm not going to be here. <laughs> Does that mean I'm the host next week then if we're swapping? <laughs> Wow, now didn't it that will be here. <laughs> you have to be able to scream. Everybody knows I'm very, very loud when I can be. <laughs> now let me ask a question. Not everybody can do the grunt work. So how how do you do that? So let's say you're the owner of a business and the grunt work is, you know, I don't know, uh Hooking up the cable satellite, okay, for the ops, right? That would be more specialized. But as a manager or CEO, you know which people you can count on for which dirty job you need done. But you have to be willing to do those dirty jobs, too. And you got to do it with them sometimes. It's hard to explain what the grunt work is. I think every business has its own form of grunt work. You know, for us, it's uh, Excel spreadsheets with minute information, which will bore you to death and your eyes will fall out of the back of your head, that kind of stuff got to be willing to do that, you know, just deal with nasty customers, bill collecting, that kind of stuff. Okay, another way you wanted to clarify, another other way you want to clarify, that was inventory rules. Now, when you see inventory rules, you know, inventory rules I've heard of, and I'm an accountant, my background, so I've heard of FIFO and NITRO, last in, first out, first in, first out. And those inventory rules you're talking about, is something different. Yeah, we went over the inventory rule. I think uh, Tracy is switching from one business model to the other. Is that correct? Something like that? Yes. Well, I was a 100% service-based industry prior to the launch of my company, Producer Podcast. And my company, Producer Podcast, actually has inventory and humans and membership recurring revenue models. It's it's a whole different ballgame with with going from a one-man solo entrepreneur service-based business to a team of 15-plus remote employees and inventory and everything else. So that was my challenge when we spoke last. Yeah, what I was saying there, and boy, I got a lot of kickback in this. I got some emails. I got some text messages. Even one of my mentors, longtime business mentors for many years from all the way from Michigan, texted me in all caps, inventory control. And he could not believe I said three years on hand of inventory for some manufacturing models. And I guess what happened there was that is how I do it, but it is not recommended for every inventory type model. Most of the time, businesses are best off with, you know, 30 to 120 days worth of inventory somewhere in there. But uh, as a manufacturer, you definitely want to expand your production runs as most profitably as you can to get more inventory out of your labor. So that is, it just, it's glossing over it, but it just really depends on your business. The three-year or the three-month model may not be for everybody. It might be a one-year model. So maybe I was a little bit too absolute in my description, and I just want to make sure everyone knows that there are many ways to skin a cat, you know. So sometimes you have a new product coming out, thank you. Let's say the iPhone. You've got the iPhone 12, and now you're coming out with the iPhone 13. So you have to be careful to make sure that you don't have so much inventory that you have to get rid of it and sell it at a 
loss or a discounted price. So you have to you know plan out how much inventory you plan on selling over a certain period of time. Yeah, obsolescence. That's the obsolescence model. Yeah, you really have to watch that in a lot of other industries. For me personally, my business is hardware, which hasn't changed since you know the covered wagon days. It's pretty much the same stuff. So we don't have obsolescence issues with our business. So. I had forgotten about that when giving that advice and that rule, but some businesses do real well on the three-year model. Some do great three months, six months, but you just got to feel it out, and your CPA is going to be able to tell you what's best for you and your model. So we just wanted to clarify those two before we get into beating each other up on other things. So, Tom, a lot of people have been calling us up, and they've listen, you know, cash is really tight right now during COVID, and I keep on getting these offers in the mail, and, you know, some of them are, sound very good, but some of them I'm really nervous about. In fact, I read one, and I read the back, and it says 28% interest per month. I was like, what is a loan shock? I mean, what is going on? So question for you is, if you need to borrow money and you cannot get into a government program, what's the best way to borrow money, and what kind of rates are you looking at? Well, I'll tell you, 20% monthly, if you do the numbers, it won't tell you that exactly on the in the fine print, but if you run it through a payment calculator, some of these offers they're sending, and I think every business is getting three or four of these a day. I know our business, we get probably 10 or 15 emails and probably five or six calls for these legalized loan shark loans, which look really good on paper. You know, they have a logo that you would recognize from a bank you would recognize, they look very, very good, and they, they say 1%. We'll give you a quarter million dollars at 1%. Well, anyone would jump on that, but it's a quarter million dollars, 1% daily is what it is. <laughs> oh. The payback is weekly. In the long run, when you run it through a payment calculator, it's about 40 to 50% APR on some of these loans, and it's legal. And what is so strange about it is during uh, Obama's two terms, he was supposedly championing the fact that they had eliminated this predatory banking, but every bank appears to be a predator now more so than ever. And I don't know where they found the loophole to do this, but it is a nasty thing in the marketplace right now. There are probably 10 or 15 football stadiums that are named after these said banks. And it's just an amazing, illegal, legal lending practice. So what I would recommend for most people is if you can't call grandma or your mom and dad, you're going to have to figure out how to raise capital in other ways without borrowing, which is liquidate anything that you don't need. If it's not nailed down and you don't need it, dump it, sell it, raise your own capital. Because these loans, they're just a, they're a noose is what they are. They're a noose around your neck. So what about other options? Like, for instance, I hear a lot about the Small Business Administration. What about that? You're going to run through them. You know, unfortunately, seeing the dark side of the SBA and I've seen the good side of the SBA, Personally, with the SBA, one thing that people don't realize is most of those 7A loans that they do, for instance, for land, if you're buying your building that you're in, or a credit line, is they are usually flex. So it's prime plus two, or prime plus two and three quarter, I think, is the latest. And they're flex loans. You can get in trouble on those. And uh, as far as a line of credit or a mortgage goes, combination where they give you a mortgage and they give you a line of credit, say, for a couple hundred thousand dollars. Both loans are flex, and they will tell you through their bank. We should actually clarify this. We should back up for a minute. The SBA isn't the one giving you the money. The SBA is just guaranteeing the money for the banker that's giving you the money. That's what the SBA does. So when you get an SBA check, it just doesn't happen from the SBA. It happens from, like, you know, John Doe Banking. But what they do is they guarantee the banker, we'll just say... uh, 
askbrianbank.com, right? Askbrianbank.com gives you a loan for half a million dollars. And you're not allowed to pay that down for the first three years without penalty. But at the 37th month mark, you're allowed to start making big chunk pay downs on it. They will request your financials every year and see how you're doing financially, see how your inventory levels are if you're an inventory business. And they will evaluate your business and the risk of your business. At about the three-year mark, you have paid enough interest back to them where if you go belly up at the three-year mark, the government, SBA, is going to cover 85% of that loan. Well, the bank received the interest. The SBA is providing the insurance. So at the three-year mark, if the banker does not like you for any reason, on paper, in your financials, they can jettison you and foreclose on you. A lot of people don't know that. But what they can do is, as a lawyer, you probably know this, is called tortuous interference with economic advantage. And what the real bad banks are doing is they will pull in the financials from a company and they will look for inventory reduction. Say uh, a business had 500 grand on the shelf of, of parts and by the three-year mark, they reduce their inventory down to 325. They look at that as lost collateral in the business. You may have been running down inventory that was surplus and getting to more profitable rotations on your inventory. They don't care. They will feel the loan out the best they can and jettison the loan. And it, it's really, really tricky. You have to run a clean set of books and keep your nose clean with these SBA lenders. That is on mostly line of credits and mortgages combined. On a mortgage, you're pretty much you're okay with that one. Whenever you involve the SBA in a line of credit, you've got to watch out. So are you saying that even if you're making all your payments, and if you have an SBA loan through, uh, the, I don't know, Tracy's Bank Incorporated, and you make all your payments on time, that you can still be foreclosed upon? They can really make your life difficult, yes. That is the fact. If you're current on your loan, you can still be a high-risk account. And they can, in the fine print that you sign when you sign some of these SBA deals, and, you know, unfortunately and shamefully, I know this firsthand for many, many years ago on one of them. And the others, I've helped some other guys get some of these SBA loans and seen them just completely turn upside down. And actually, Congress is actually looking into this. They're finally getting wind of how some of these banks work because the bankers, they're judged by a metric within their own bank of well-performing loans and high-risk loans. You can have a well-performing loan that's high-risk. Like, for instance, a business is kind of, they're hurting, their receivables are way down, their payables are up, their inventory levels are down. That's high risk. Even if they're making a payment, they look at that like, oh, this is going to turn into trouble. We need to get rid of this guy. And the SBA is going to cover 85% of where they are at that point. So they can almost get out of these loans, break even at the three-year mark. And a lot of people think that that is crazy, but it is actually true. Anyway, first we had a whole bunch of questions. Uh, and we are going to come back. We were talking most recently about SBA options and loans and predatory practices. So we just finished that up. And Tracy had a couple of questions she wanted to go. You're on. Go, Tracy. Yes. So, Tom, we were talking about with COVID and the funds that have been available to support businesses, especially the small businesses who have struggled so much, hospitality industries and so forth about the difference between the PPP loan and the EID. 
SDL loan, which is the SBA loan, does that come under separate categories in terms of the predatorial concept that you were discussing? No, those are fantastic for a lot of people. Those are working very well. The only thing to back up for a minute on the SBA predatory, it's not the SBA that are the predators. It's the banks that are dealing the SBA loans. That's where you get into shenanigans. Not all banks are bad, but there is a loophole in there. I hate that word loophole, but there's an unlocked door there for an opportunist in a bank to really get you on some interest and some bad terms. But on these PPP and EIDL loans, those are fantastic, I think. You know, you've got round one and round two of the PPP. The first PPP pretty much went to anybody, as you hear on the news, even people that didn't deserve it. And those PPPs supposedly are forgiven, although paperwork is slow to get out on those to say, hey, you have been forgiven and, you know, staple this to your tax return. That is not going as smoothly as it should. But that shouldn't deter you from going after round two of PPP, which is out there now. But I think what they did, and I think it's smart, you guys might disagree with me, but this second round of PPP, it's going for the really hard hit industries like hospitality, restaurants, that kind of stuff. And I think that is really where it should be. I think there was a lot of free rides out there that shouldn't have been taken on the first PPP, and now they've made it a little more comprehensive with this round two. And then the other one, what was the other one? The EIDL, right? The SBA EIDL, correct. Now, that the SBA EIDL, that one comes directly from SBA on round one of the EIDL. I heard they're doing a round two now of EIDL where they're going to automatically send you an email if you received your first EIDL. And EIDL stands for Emergency Disaster Loan. It says, yeah, disaster loan, right. So, and I don't know if you could call it a real disaster, but I guess they, you know, they changed the word of infrastructure, the meaning of it, so they can change the word of disaster, I guess. But the EIDL round one was up to $150,000 at 3.75 on a 15 or a 30 year, I think which is like a mortgage on a small house in Tennessee. And that really saved a lot of companies from going under. They were able to consolidate credit card debt and other things and basically get a year free on that without having to pay that back and go at 3.75. That was a good deal for a lot of people. And I hear that's coming back around, and they're going to double that for the businesses that already received the first 150 max. So I would recommend if anybody needs cash to go for these EIDLs because that eliminates a lot of middlemen, eliminates a lot of the predatory banking at 40% APR that's out there right now. It eliminates a lot of room for shenanigans, and I, I really am a big fan of those. So on the PPP applications, there just seems to be a lot of questions around that. One specific question that's been brought to my attention that I'd love to get your insight on is can you apply for the PPP loan through multiple institutions? Oh, you mean all at the same time, or are they allowing you to go and shop it? That's kind of the confusion to me. So let's say, for example, I have an account with a credit union, but I also have an account with a bank like Wells Fargo. And every time I log into one or the other of those accounts, they say your PPP loan application is now ready for you to submit. And I just have also had friends say, you should submit everywhere because, and I don't really see the advantage of that. People tell me, like, if you're going to apply for PPP loans, you should apply, like, through all of these different resources. Is it just, like, to see who gets the money first or yeah, for right. you? Because you can only get one loan, right? Yeah, you know, you just jogged my memory. And you know what? I'm going to sound like a hypocrite here, but 
my rule number <laughs> rule number ten was reject subsidies, right? In rule number ten in our first show. Well, I went for the PPP, and I was told by our banker, it doesn't matter where you apply or how many times you apply. Once you get in the system with a clean application, a number has already been issued to your Fed tax ID number, and that number will just go through only one time. However, some businesses got double PPP and had to pay them back, and they got in a little bit of trouble. So on the one hand, they were giving you that advice to just do the shotgun approach, and then on the other hand, some people got in trouble for it. So I guess I would take away from that is that you should only apply one time. Yeah. We talked to our attorney, and he said, just apply through the bank you already have your SBA mortgage with. And that is what we did. It took them four times as long to get it processed as, say, you know, some other small bank or something. But it still got done. And with the EIDL, we just went direct to SBA's website and looked into that one. Right. The other headline I saw a couple of weeks ago was that, it looks like the PPP is slated to run out of money again, but this time it seemed like it was, they were saying that, the, I guess the application deadline is May 31st, but they said the money might run out before the deadline. Well, actually, the money ran out on February 20-something, believe it or not, and what a lot of SBA recipients were getting at that particular time was they were getting up to $9,000 relief max on any SBA 7A loan. I think there was another loan number in there. Forgive me for not knowing the number. But any mortgages or line of credits or expansion loans that were already in place before September of 19, those loans were going to get serviced three months up to 9000 this year, beginning in February, and six months for some businesses in certain hard-hit sectors. Well, then the SBA sent out a letter that nobody got, and they pulled the plug <laughs> They pulled the plug on that on the March payment, so they ended up, of the three to six months they had planned, in the $9,000 max contribution towards your loan payments, they only did two months, February and March only. So everyone got a surprise in April that they're no longer on uh, corporate welfare. So that hurt a lot of businesses. I think, honestly, that's going to ripple in the economy here somewhere soon because a lot of people are back off, what do you call it, on the lamb, off the lamb, on the wagon, off the wagon, something like that. But... People are really surprised because no letters got to anybody letting them know this. They just noticed the full amount came out on their loan payment in April. Oh, wow. So that has been a nightmare. I've been talking to a lot of businesses about that, fellow uh, entrepreneurs. They were very surprised to see that go wrong. But I have heard they're going to try and refund it and kick it back up sometime in June. So when we were talking earlier about, you know, when you were talking about the not-so-good SBA loans, the ones that can have the gotchas in them, you mentioned that it'd be more of a practical strategy to create other ways of funding, i.e., you said liquidation and some other suggestions. What are some things that a small business can do? I mean, I've seen a lot of crowdfunding campaigns lately and some subscription models and membership and donation models. Are those things that you would recommend for yeah. an independent business owner who doesn't have access to some of these other government funds? Anytime you can squeeze a bank out of your pocket, you're doing good. Any of those that you mentioned, those are all great, as long as you're not getting ripped off on interest or any kind of uh, partnership pieces being taken from your company or partnership shares. Anything you can do like that is fantastic. Anytime you can eliminate a bank from your life is fantastic. And bankers are evil. All banks are evil in my book. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't maybe I'm speaking too strongly for the show I know it's a G-rated show oh I mean you didn't use an expletive when you said it so I think you're okay <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> it's G-rated 
Yeah, but you know, what I feel is going on is there's so much free money in the market now. There's so much free money. And anybody that sends you an email now, they look official, and you don't know who these people are. They're just buying and selling money. And there's just so much interest being paid out on some of these things. It's There's going to be a lot of people that are going to get hurt by this in a year or two. I feel like the pendulum is going to swing back. Right now we're on a big upswing in retail sales nationally. I, I really feel like there's going to be a lot of people hurt really hard from all of this lending that's going on with these high interest rates in about one to two years. I really think, you know, it's going to come home to roost here pretty soon. So what can people do to protect themselves if you think that it's going to be a problem in a year or two? You know, that's a really good question. You know, I learned the hard way, unfortunately. When I was younger, I learned the hard way. And fortunately, in, in my career, I've never had to go BK. I know a lot of people think it's a great way to restructure. I never believed in BK. But I think what you do is you go online and there's a lot of loan calculators and there's a lot of ways to figure out interest schedules on your own. You really don't need a banker with black magic calculator. You can figure it out yourself, figure out your interest paying, figure out what extra payments you're going to do to the bottom line and really put that interest payment in perspective for you and ask yourself, is it worth it to expand my business and pay all of this interest or keeping this expensive piece of equipment I hardly ever use for all this interest, liquidations may be in order. Downsizing may be in order. That is a probably a wiser choice than borrowing to stay afloat with a ship that's too heavy to float. One of our previous episodes, we had a commercial real estate banker who was giving us some insights on the, you know, the, what we're going to face with commercial leases coming up and people not renewing them because of the remote work situation. Do you have any insight to share on what you think that's going to do to our economy locally and nationally? Well, I can tell you down here in, in the South Bay on February 20, before COVID really came home hard, there was about an 18% vacancy rate on Hawthorne Boulevard from roughly where Palos Verdes is up to about Manchester Boulevard. That's a long stretch of retail. And six months into COVID, that is almost at 45%, only six months in. And it's about the same now, about a year later. We're here, we're coming up on April. And the vacancy rate's about 45%, but that's on retail. What I see is industrial property. I see very little vacancies. I don't see a lot of vacancies yet. And I've been looking for an extra warehouse because we're expanding. I haven't seen it in industrial yet. I don't know if that is because those leases are longer term usually than mom-pop retail. But I think there is something coming there. I just haven't seen it yet. Why don't we talk about also shift just to, uh, because you've been so gracious with your tips that have been extremely popular in terms of you know being helpful for solving problems. What are some of the things that a company can do if they have been significantly impacted outside of getting funding or liquidating or doing crowdfunding to you know generally raise funds? What are some of the other things that businesses can do who are really struggling to survive this last calendar year, knowing that with the vaccines and things we might be, you know, near a home stretch? We still don't know for sure. What are some other things these businesses can do to sustain themselves till we get through this? You know, I think that we're almost through it, to be honest with you. I think if they've got enough muster in them to hang on a little longer, maybe we'll see what this Christmas shopping season does. I think I make a decision at the end of this year if I stay or I go, you know, if I'm in a struggling business. I don't bail out midsummer. I wait to get through the summer, 
get kids back to school, hopefully. And, of course, you know, NFL season starts. Everybody's going to be happy again, and it's a mood. You know, once the mood shifts, the country can shift, too. I really think that, believe it or not, activities and the year coming to an end, kids back in school, hopefully in fall, I really think that's going to change people's attitudes. And I really think if you can hang on, you need to hang on to the end of the year and then make a decision. And hope that decision is a positive one just for the economy and every and morale and everything else, right? I really believe that, yeah. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy if everyone's walking around doom and gloom. We're going to go into doom and gloom. But if you're positive and you think things are going to turn around, it just feeds itself. But right now it's hard to really tell because, you know, we got a new administration. He's still trying to find his sea legs. And the SBA is out of money right now, but they're trying to put that back together. You know, I think in three months. You know, ask me again in three months. Hopefully you'll bring me back. (laughs) Well, right. That sounds like a recurring guest role. Even if we have another guest, we're going to call you back in three months. No matter who is on the show, in the middle of the show, we're just going to pick up the phone and call you up and ask you. <laughs> okay. That's very nice, Peter. You know, Tracy, when you were asking about vacancies and everything, were you asking about rentals or, or owning? I wasn't quite sure. Maybe I answered that question wrong. No, I think, I mean, you answered it correctly in terms of what I was thinking of, which is people who have either signed leases or have these long term leases, but they just, for whatever reason, working remotely was successful for them, or they see the benefits in that, or coming back into an office just doesn't work for their business model anymore because they pivoted did that online commerce. I mean, they're all kind of different scenarios. I mean, owning, I would imagine, would lead to foreclosures. Leases would lend to vacancies based on either breaking the lease, not being able to file bankruptcy or whatever. But, you know, at the end of the day, the impact on all of this empty real estate is challenging. And also, to your point about morale and the energy of it all, it's just it's hard to drive down the street of some of these towns and just see. It seems like every time when the first of the month comes around, it's another vacant building because I guess their lease ended and. They either couldn't afford to renew it or didn't renew it. And so it, it just, there's a, a lot of sort of disturbing perspectives and perceptions around that. Yeah, that's true. That's, it's mostly the hardest hit is the mom pop. And honestly, and it's really hard to say this, but it's by zip code. It's, it's depression and recession by zip code. Some zip codes are just thriving. Some zip codes are not thriving. And uh, it's hit and miss. But one thing I have noticed is industrial property does not appear, at least from my perspective in 310 and 818, I do not see the impact on the industrial property yet. But definitely mom-pop retail, very, very, it's disheartening to see. So, Tom, some people have asked if they want to reach you and they don't know how to get in touch with you. They have some personal, not personal, but business questions, and you've been giving a lot of good answers. So how would they reach you? Uh, Tom at anplumbing.com, A-N like Army, Navy plumbing.com anytime and uh, I don't want to put you on the spot but are you willing to respond to anybody who sends you a question and, and, and what oh, yeah. thing you're talking about well that's in my rules of course from the first show you remember answer all emails immediately by 5pm that's our rule and if you missed the first show, listeners, you can grab it on the podcast, the Ask Brian podcast, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. You can download it at any time on your favorite podcast platform so you can hear all of the really great answers you gave to us the first time around. Yeah. <laughs> so, Tracy, you had a hard question in, during the break. You asked me what I would recommend people do if they wanted to start a business during these times at this time. What I would say is 
Well, if you're going to do it, now is the time because everything's cheap to get in. You know, there's a lot of fire sales going on. There's, a, like we talked about earlier, a ton of vacancies, a lot of motivated landlords with free rent and really uh, profitable leases available out there. I think if you're going to go for it, now's the time. Well, and we mm-hmm. wish everybody success at doing that, that's for sure. Yeah. It, Any specific businesses? You know, that's the other thing I was thinking about that, too, at the break, is which business would I pick? I don't know what I would pick, but I think food, if you can get into a community where they're allowing people to sit down, and there's restaurant auctions all over the place. There's 10 or 15 auctions uh, in my inbox, and more than that, probably, from the auction network, and they're all restaurants. That might be a good way for a restaurateur to get in really cheap, start from the ground up. You think a restaurant, or you think more like food delivery? Well, that too, you know, do it both. you got to be everything to everybody now when you're in the food biz. got to have the outdoor seating in case this happens again. you got to have the indoor seating. got to have the DoorDash, Uber Eats. you got to be very diversified next time around. But I think if you're getting into a restaurant, I know it sounds crazy because they're all dying right now. But, you know, ashes bring growth. Phoenix rising from the ashes, basically, yep. right? But just a new Phoenix. Yeah, ashes bring growth. And that was in our rules, too. The biggest gains you'll make are in depressions and recessions. If you've got the cash on hand to do it, you're going to pick up the pieces from someone else, you know. How about your business? Is your business going to get in a recession? We got hit hard in 2003. Uh, 9-11 almost wiped us out, and then it hit about two years later in 2003. That was very difficult. The recession in 97 was very difficult, but that 2003, well, that was a killer. Thank you very much. You're listening to KHS 1220 and 98.1 FM with my co-host Tracy and our wonderful guest Tom Neely today. Thank you very much. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian radio show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit AskBrian.com to join the conversation and ask us your business questions and we'll answer them on our next episode. That's AskBrien.com.